Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grace. You have picked a spectacular weekend to be here. Let me, this is the beginning of a series that we're going to look through. I'm, I'm thrilled about it because um, the passages we'll be looking at for the next six weeks help us reconcile the conflicts within our souls, the deepest contradictions that we feel that we wrestle with most of the time when we stop and we think about life. When we have those moments of silence and reflection, we realize that, <clears throat> pardon me, and we realize that we are special and created by God and we have this um, unique personality. It's, we're very complicated. Um, we desire to be pure, but we don't sometimes even pursue that desire. We are loved by God, but we feel like we've, cut, we've been cut off from God. We're technically alive, but we're dying slowly, right? And so we, so we find ourselves busy. In the 1500s, Blaise Pascal wrote that we're busy because we're trying to stay distracted from these truths that we are cut off from God, that we are alive, but we are certainly dying. And so we stay busy, and these distractions, um, they, they, they kill us faster, and, they, and they, they pull us away from God even further. So what are, what are we searching for is the series, is what, what we're going to talk about in the next six weeks. What are we searching for? You know, love and, and intimacy and purpose. What if I told you there is a story that helps us accumulate all these contradictions and these conflicts in our lives, and if we could see that there's a plot line for all of human history, and if we could see that in this plot line there's a destination, and there, while there's a story, there's also parts to play. The closer we get to the storyline, the closer we can understand what our part is, and when we find our part in that storyline, then we can find purpose and meaning. I can tell you that there is a consistent coherent, logical, historically verifiable storyline that I think that it, the more you learn about it, the more you're going to want to be part of that. The, the, um, there's a big picture. We're going to look at this, this thing. We're going to call it one, but it's just one big picture that all the small pictures find their meaning and clarity in. It's a, a, technically, it's called a meta-narrative, which means it's a giant narrative that all the small narratives uh, bring to light. Right? It's, it's the forest, not the trees. It, you're seeing the forest through the trees or above the tree line. We are not an accident. We are, we are not a cosmic mistake that brought about order and then life and then souls and then Beethoven. You, and with, there's, with, without meaning, without direction, and without finish. That is not what it is. We are, and we know this to be too true, we're created by an intelligent being. And we're created probably for something more. And, and we want to be part of that more. And, and the story is that God does have a destination. He has a meaning and purpose in life. And he uses David's and Goliath's with or without their understanding, with or without their permission. Because he's going to do things. He has a plan, and you're either part of this plan or you are a victim of the plan. And I'd like for us to consider talking about that for the next several weeks. Grace Covenant Church, it, this is a profound thing to realize that there is a plot line in life, and God is orchestrating the, the plot line, and he has a place for us to fit. It, it is profound because it, mean, it brings us meaning. 
It brings us purpose. 45 years ago, I think eight people gathered in a small living room, and they talked about this, these six lessons, and these lessons brought people understanding about how the world history has played out. And because of that, that small Bible study became this church on a hill. It is, a, it, it is uh, an enlightenment, if you will. An enlightenment. Listen, uh, we're, uh, there's, there's something that I'd like to let you know about. In the, in the lobby, there's a timeline. It's called the Bible Timeline, and we're selling these things for, at a discounted rate. They're $5 on the back, but we're selling them for 4 And the reason I want to tell you about this is two reasons. One, I, I worked for 11 years for an international Bible teaching ministry called Walk Through the Bible Ministries out of Atlanta. You might have heard of Bruce Wilkinson. He's a, a famous author. I, I worked there, and, and, and all we did were Bible surveys, Old Testament surveys and New Testament surveys. This is, as, this is not as good. This is better than anything we produced. And it's amazing. First part of the Old Testament on this side, last part of the Old Testament and New Testament on this side. I want you to consider looking at this. We're going to use this as our outline. Our six, thing, our six covenants are going to be taken from this. We'll even use some of their icons and their fonts. The second reason I want you to consider getting one of these is because this is published by BibleStudyForCatholics.com. It's a scary thing to get a, a Catholic reading their Bible. Watch them light up. As a person that is of the Catholic background and started reading his Bibles, I mean, it's amazing what happens. I can't go into the details, but, you know, a lot of high churches like Lutherans, Episcopals, and Catholics, they just get teased with little Bible verses each week, but they never get the big panoramic picture. And then this is their material. So I, I want you to use it as an opportunity to share with your friends that might be going to Mass. Have them go to Mass on Saturday, come here on Sunday, and enjoy the big picture of God's timeline in history. Okay, so anyways, enough of that. That'll be in the lobby. They're $4, and get them while you can. I forgot to tell first hour so that you guys would have first shot at them. <laughs> I love second hour. I like you guys best. If we're going to learn about how to live life, we have to go back to what was meant to be. We have to go back to the beginning. You can't fix something that's broken by studying broken things. You have to study what it's supposed to be like, right? You can't become an expert in all the variations of, of counterfeit by studying counterfeit because there's too many variations. You become an expert on counterfeiting by studying the real McCoy. Look at the real $100 bill, and then you can see all the anomalies when you see a counterfeit. You, right? You, we, can't, we don't have time to study the 10,000 ways to live a meaningless or purposeful, purposeless life. Why don't we just go to the original drawing, right, and say, this is what man was meant to be. That's why we go back to the first two books of the Bible, and we find out so much about human nature and the reason we're made and the way that we're made that we can find out our purpose in life. Genesis 1 might very well be the single greatest poem ever, ever spoken from human lips. It is art. It is rhythmical. It, 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 is, it is symmetrical. And if you listen for the symmetry and listen for the rhythm, you can find that there's a rhythm of work and rest. There's a rhythm in the creation story itself. You can see it lining up in parallels. If you would, indulge me as I read this to you. Let's see if we can listen for the symmetry, the rhythm, and the purpose. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. It was formless and void. And darkness covered the deep waters. 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he saturated, separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and the morning came, marking the first day. And then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters from the heavens and the waters from the, and the, waters from the earth. And that's what happened. And God made this space and separated the waters of earth from the waters of heaven. And he called the space sky. And the evening passed and the morning came, marking the second day. And then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so that dry ground may appear. And God called the dry ground land and the waters sea. And he saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout vegetation and every sort of seed-bearing plant and the trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. And that's what happened. And God saw that it was good. And in the evening passed and the morning came and that marked the third day. Then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night and let the signs and let them be signs of the seasons and the days and the years. And that's what happened. And God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. And God saw that it was good. And the evening passed and the morning came and marked the fourth day. And then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life and let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. And so God created sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of its same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply all over the earth. And the evening passed and the morning came, marking the fifth day. And then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of its own same kind, livestock and small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that's what happened. And God said, it was good. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals upon the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In his own image, he created them, male and female. He created them. Let me embellish. Adam was made perfect but incomplete. He was like an ornate door, but he had no frame. He was in paradise, but had no one to hold hands with. And God, in his wisdom, in, allowed him to name the animals, and he found himself lonely. And he wanted to have someone to share his life with, someone to love deeply. And so God put him to sleep, and in his deep sleep, he took from his side and fashioned a woman. Oh, yeah. He fashioned a woman. And when Adam uh, met Eve for the first time, he saw her great beauty and all the things that he had considered beautiful before was now just plain. And he said, at last, this is the one, flesh of my flesh, 
bone of my bone. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There was, they were perpetually looking outward. There were no mirrors in the garden. And then God took, I'm sorry, and then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and the morning came, making of the sixth day. Did you hear the purpose, the meaning in the story? In both chapters, chapters 1 and chapters 2, we read in chapter 1, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. And that's what happened. To reiterate in chapter 2, in the second story that, in, that goes into more details, it says, and the Lord placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him and said, "May you may freely eat from any of the uh, fruit of the trees in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat from that tree, the fruit of that tree, you shall surely die. We were made to be kings, it says. We were to reign and rule our little kingdom that God had gifted us called the garden. We were to be priests because this was, this was his sanctuary. The garden was his sanctuary. And worship was work. And work was worship. <laughs> Adam and Eve's devotional were to plant seeds and harvest plums. That was worship because that was work. In summary, in summary, we, we are to work together in the presence of God. We are to take things that are perfect but incomplete and to make them complete for God to enjoy. We are to take um, the, 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 the beautiful and make them extravagant. That's where the purpose comes. But the story's not over. The creation story's not over. The Hebrews, the Hebrew language in Hebrews, they, they love symmetry. They, they love even numbers. They, they love things to match up perfectly. And the story doesn't end at day six. Chapter two, verses one and two says, so the creation of the heavens and the earth, everything in them was completed. And by the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. And so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was a day where he rested from all the work of his creation. If Hebrew loves symmetry, then why the asymmetrical poem? I mean, I mean it's, it, 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 it's, it matches up so nicely, so beautifully. Eight creative events in six symmetrical days. Even the days, even the six symmetrical days are symmetrical, okay? Because the first three days are about the, the earth was formless and void. Remember, it was formless and void. And so the first three days are talking about formlessness. And so those four creative events that take place in the first three days deal with formlessness. The second create, creative days, the second set, four through six, talk about the voidness being dealt with. And so there's four more creative activities that are going on in God, in God's you know, handiwork. And so it all matches perfectly. And then the seventh day is added for emphasis. The zenith of the creation account is not the creation of man and the institution of authority of co-regent as a priest or king. The zenith of creation is rest. It is Sabbath rest. 
It is Sabbath freedom. It is Sabbath joy. It is Sabbath salvation. And that's why it ends on the seventh day when God, and he made that day holy. That's why today in the 21st century, when you built your first little fort, whether it was out of bed sheets or cardboard or wood, you built that fort and you stepped back and said, oh, out of chaos, I have made a home and I should stop and rest and enjoy. When you power wash, when you power wash and you make something that's dirty and despicable into something that's clean, you don't want to finish until you bring somebody over and say, look, could you look at the before and after, please? That's why Facebook was invented, for power washing pictures. <laughs> I, I need to show you. I want you to stop and rest and look at what I have done. Every, every you know, not every, but you should consider the, the meal you bake, the, the room you paint, the program you write, the paper you turn in, the deal you close. These are all expressions of work and then rest and then enjoyment. You take this and you make it beautiful and you rest. If you rest without work, you're lazy. If you work without rest, you have an addiction. If you work and rest alone, you're lonely. This is paradise. It's a rhythm of work and rest in the presence of God. Paradise is a rhythm of work and rest in the presence of God. That's our design. That's our template. It is before the bent, before we were dropped, before the fall. That's the way we were made, and we have remnants of that because we are still human. And when we, when we experience that, we feel the fullness of our, of our nature, of our design. There are two stories that help us understand paradise. One you'll never read. It's called Paradise Lost by John Milton. It's in Latinate. There are 10,000 verses in a foreign language that was made more foreign. You're not going to read that one, but I'm going to quote some parts of it uh, because it's so insightful. One of the best stories on paradise ever written was Paradise Lost. Another one is by C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's, named, it's in a space uh, science fiction trilogy, and it's called Paralandra. If you want to know what life might have been like before there was a sin, read Paradise Lost. Let me tell you a little bit about what John, how the way John Milton described what it would be like to have a rhythm of work and rest in the presence of God. After a light but full day of work, Adam and Eve retire for dinner, and they go up to their mountaintop experience, and they are dining while the animals come and the birds sing and the four-footed mammals entertain them. And after their time together, they go up a little further up on the mountain where they have a little bungalow and no other animals are permitted up there because that is where the highest form of life on the planet reside. And they have intimacy there without lust. They are intelligent and innocent both. They enjoy each other. There is... There is beauty to abound. <laughs> this is what paradise is. The goal is not work. The goal is to rest in the presence of God. 
That's the paradise story. That's Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And then all is lost. All is lost. It's gone. And we can't fix it. When Milton tells the story, he tells it like this. He says that Adam and Eve had been working for quite some time. There's no telling, in other words, if you go to the passage itself, there's no telling how long the events took place. It could have been a thousand years, right? It could have been a week. It could have been a day. But in his, you know, fictitious expression of this event, he says, after working for several uh, days together, Eve said, I would like to work alone. We could get you know, twice as much done, and Adam puts up a bit of a protest, but she insists, and she says, I will be back at noon. We will have lunch together, and we'll enjoy each other. Now, she'd been tormented by a demon for weeks going into this separation, and while she leaves, she is drawn to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent greets her there and tantalizes her with arguments that are somewhat true about the tree. And he says, you could be a goddess that you deserve to be. All you have to do is reject God as your source of contentment, as your source of joy, and your source of truth, and take from this fruit. And she does. And when she eats of the fruit, it says, Milton says, and all the earth groaned because all was lost. She became intoxicated on the fruit and devoured it. And she thought this drunkenness was a new new insight and new wisdom. She went back to her house where she was met by Adam. And he had a bouquet of flowers and he was looking forward to seeing her. And it was not the Eve that left. And he knew. And he had such great sorrow because he had loved her so deeply. He was horrified and speechless. And she told him the story, and he wondered and perplexed because he could not imagine living without her. Whatever her fate might be, whatever it means to die, he would rather die with her than to live in paradise without her. He had given himself to her. And so he followed her back to the tree, and he ate as well. And Milton said, and the whole earth groaned, but now more so because of his office. All was lost. They became drunk. They had sex with lust for the first time. They woke up the next morning, but they were unrested. They saw each other and felt shame. They went to the the foliage and covered the parts of their bodies that were the shameful ones, where they sinned the most. They looked at each other, and they blamed each other. Adam said, why did you want to leave? It was working fine the way it was. And Eve said, why did you let me go? Why didn't you insist? And what was once love and trust is now becoming rage and anger. All was lost. All was lost. Even the earth turned against them. The nights were cold and dark and scary. The animals that once serenaded them were fleeing from them. The animals that once entertained each other were devouring one another. The seasons of the year became harsh. They became storm-filled, and floods were provoked. 
All was lost. All was lost. And then God arrives. God arrives, and he must bring about justice. And even in his justice, even in his justice, he brings clues. What, what, what's a clue? A clue is a hope, isn't it? A clue is an intellectual hope that you might be able to figure something out, right? Like, who done it? Give me a clue, and I might know how to make sense out of this. So even in the judgments of God, God gives a clue, a hope, a promise, a covenant. God will make a promise, a covenant, that he will not leave things the way we left them. And so he goes and starts with the serpent first, and he says, remember this. And the Lord God said to the serpent, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. There will be a cosmic spiritual battle until the ends of this age. And they will fight until the death. And her seed will die, but his seed will be killed. Her seed will get better. His seed will never recover. Even in the serpent's cursing, there's hope. In hers cursing, it said, and, and, and then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. The thing that brings her most joy will now come with pain and suffering. The thing that she hopes for and enjoys the most will come with thorns. So she's still entirely female, but with a bent. Speaking of thorns, the man is cursed in this way. And then he said to the man, The ground is cursed because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch for a living from it. And by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return from the ground from which you were made. For from where you were made was dust, and dust you shall return. He makes beautiful things out of dust. He makes beautiful things out of us. So even in that curse, we, he still maintains his atomness, but the things that would give him joy, like to take beauty and make it extravagant, is now to take chaos and to make order out of it. And he will have to work for that, but he'll still have something to show for it. There'll be blisters and bloody bites from various kinds of thorns. And God, in his mercy, walks them east of Eden, away from the the tree of perpetual youth, so that they will realize that in death they will find new life. That's what God does for them. So there there is a possibility of innocence regained, not to its virginal state, but Adam knows in this context, I think Adam knows that if he, if he returns to a servant heart towards God, that if he lets God be king and if he finds his joy and his contentment and his laws from God, that he will get closer to God than he could otherwise. He would, he would not have to distance himself too far. I want you to see how hopeful 
our young couple was because it said in the, in the original curse to the serpent, it said, I will put hostility or enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel or he will, you will strike his heel. In chapter 4 of Genesis, Adam and Eve, they go out and they have relations and they have a baby. Look, look at the excitement she has. In ver- look, look how it's the hope of the promise, the clue, the covenant. Now, Adam and Eve had sexual relations with his wife and Eve became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Some of your commentaries, if you read closely, they'll say that she was hoping that this is the fulfillment of the man that would come and crush the skull of the serpent. Some translations will even say, with the help of the Lord, I have produced the man. She thought she was giving birth to the Messiah. She thought, well, we'll clean this up in a weekend. And that's not what happened. She gave birth to a man. And his name was Cain. And then she had a second son, and he was, his name was Abel. And one day Cain said to Abel, let us go and talk in the field. And Abel never returned. Because this is a roller coaster story. There will be more gardens. There will be more calls for us to rule a garden. There will be more failures because we never fail to fail. And there will be more clues, filling in those clues with greater details in the hope, more promises, fuller covenants. The story of the Bible is the story of covenants. We're going to study those covenants together. It'll be up and down and up and down, and the only thing consistent will be God's promises, God's love, and God's hope to redeem us. We still long for Eden. We throw coins into wells because we know there's more. We have these like echoes of Eden where we will take something chaotic and make it beautiful with sweat of the brow and, and thorn prints and we step back and we rest and we, we look skyward. We look at God and we say, look what I did at work today. Would you put this on your refrigerator? Because, friends, it belongs there. It does. Our work is worship. It's just hard work. We have, we have whispers and we will, we will have moments of accidental self-forgetfulness where, where we, will, we, will, we will give sacrificially and it won't, we won't think another thing about it. We will have intimacy without lust. We catch things in the corner of the eye of our soul where we are vulnerable without fear. We are naked without shame. And these are the things of our home country, but we can't get back there. You can't fix this. This is broken beyond your help. You need not try. Only God can fix this. And here's what a lot of people do. They try to get back to Eden because it feels so good when they have these moments, so these echoes, these whispers, these glimpses. But if you pursue Eden, you lose your way. You pursue Jesus Christ 
his magnificence, his joy, the things that bring him, right, excitement, the thing, and you, you find yourself in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you try to not figure him out, enjoy him. Think his thoughts, feel his feelings, be his hands. And you find yourself, as you get closer to the king, you get closer to his kingdom. You get closer to what Christ is doing in the world, you get closer to his plot line, and you find purpose and meaning there. If you pursue Eden, you lose Eden and Christ. If you pursue Christ, you get Christ and Eden thrown in. The story of the Bible is God so loved the world, and we rejected that. Listen, I, I want to show you a video just for our closing. I'm going to pray in just a few minutes, um, but I'm going to show you a video after that. And I, I want to explain the video, but right now I want us to just pray this thought, this, this idea. Is God tugging on you for wanting more? You, you hear this story and you think, I, I have those memories and I want more. This is broken and I'm tired of trying to fix it. You can't fix this. You've lost Eden and you can't find your way home. So would you just join me in a, in a word of prayer and I'm going to ask that God would open, us, open up our hearts and make them ex exposed. And then I'm going to show you a video. I'll introduce the video in just a second. I'll just, I just want to tell you that ahead of time. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, would you open our souls and make us open to your uh, the, the idea that there is a huge story that points to your glory, that has, that has your rhythm and meter in it. It is all about you, but we get to play a part in that. Would you open our hearts to that, just that idea that we find meaning and purpose in life when we play our part in your storyline, that if we pursue you, we might gain a little bit of innocence back, that we might find ourselves like children playing in a garden again, just for moments. But still, Lord, would you give us that? Let, it, let us understand with a, new, with a new set of depth your grace, your love, our sin, your repayment for our, our debt to you. We, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our leadership team found a, a video that we found to be tried, uh, very deep and uh, understandable on many different levels, left brain, right brain. So I'd like to show you this video. Please pay attention to it. It is the story of the gospel. It is the story of God's love, our rebellion, the expense that's due, and how Jesus Christ paid for that expense. And I'll be right back in four minutes. You. Look at your eyes. Look at them. Speckled. Colorful. Each one unique. And I created every one of them. I created everything. The universe. And you. I gave you your personality. I made you pure. Complex. And every day, I give you life. I love you. But something happened. 
you cheated on me. You didn't trust me. You sinned. You cut yourself off from me. And although you're still alive, you are slowly dying. So you looked for other things. To fill the void. But nothing works. It just kills you faster. And it separates us more and more. What are you searching for? destroyed, but to know me, so I became one of you, a fragile creation. I was tempted, but I never sinned. I came to save you. You have so many sins, and they have a cost. Someone has to die. You or me, so I took on your sin, and traded in my life for yours, and I died in your place, because I love you. Then. Follow me. The story of the gospel, the story of the Bible, the gospel means good news. The story is that we were granted paradise and purpose and love from God himself, and we rejected all those things. We cheated on him. We're cut off, and we might be alive, but we are, we are certainly dying. We have lost everything, and we can't get back. Our crimes against God are expensive. Someone will pay for your sins. You are going to a cross, or Jesus has already gone the cross for you. 
Friday before Resurrection Sunday is called Good Friday, but it's only good for people that understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross for them, not for us, but for them, for me. Before we close today, I want us to have maybe two possible applications. One is, is that Friday good for you? Have you come in today maybe with some doubts, but now they've been cleared up because you realize that you are so indebted to God that only God could pay that ransom. And Jesus Christ is that ransom payment. God so loved you. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, beloved, from a, born from above son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that we would have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Today is today the day that you say, you know, you might have come here and thought, oh, I'm going to come back to church because then, you know, maybe that'll make up for some of the things that I've done. That's not the economy of the Bible. The economy of the Bible is you can't pay this back, but Jesus can. And if you received his gift of forgiveness, his gift of payment for your sin, and received his righteousness because he rose from the dead, then you don't have to keep a ledger anymore that shows your debtedness. And you could receive that today. Just say, I, I take it, Lord. By faith, I take Jesus' death to pay for my sins. That's part one. Another application I have is some of you might have come in today, and we, we kind of overwhelmed you with a lot of information. And even this story might even seem like a fable to you. I, I'm asking you, would you consider coming back for the next five weeks? Because as we progress in this story, we get more details and more historical, verifiable, archaeological evidence that this is the story. God is reckless as a criminal. He leaves evidence everywhere. And I want you to consider holding on to, those, to maybe this storyline and seeing how God is working through human history to bring salvation to all of mankind. Would you do that? Would you consider coming back, making a commitment for five more weeks, right? Okay. Let me pray for us one last time, especially for that first group, and then uh, I'll have some parting comments. Lord Jesus, for people that maybe walked in here today trying to, I don't know, get a, another little token in their, good, in their good jar, but now they've come to realize that that's, that's never going to be enough. <laughs> Throwing grains of sand into an ocean will never make an island. And so, Lord, I'd ask that, that, that they would open their souls to, to Christ's payment for their sins. And they would see themselves as a son or a daughter of the king of Christ himself. They would see that they've been in, adopted and they've inherited this salvation and not earned it. Lord, I'd ask that they would feel your Spirit's presence and confirmation even this day. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for this storyline. Would you help us understand it more clearly so that we could play our part to glorify you, to enjoy the life that you've given us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org. 